Hi, and welcome to the Insiders by Durham Lane, where we get perspectives from industry thought leaders about strategies that are unifying marketing and sales cycles to help accelerate growth inside your world. Simon and I were joined by Dirk Gauberg from AXA Partners for this episode of The Insiders. Listen on to hear how Dirk and his small team have reinvented the way AXA's global sales teams interact with their customers through a shift to a modern selling or buyer-first approach. We also got Dirk's experience on fostering growth strategies and how understanding the skills of your people first enables meaningful education to occur and leads to stellar results. As always, I hope you enjoy the discussion. Hello and welcome to The Insiders by Durham Lane, an industry podcast giving you the inside track on all things B2B sales and marketing. I'm your host, Simon Hazeldean. I'm an author, sales expert and keynote speaker on all things sales and negotiation. I'm joined by my co-host, the CCO and founder of Durham Lane, Richard Lane. Richard, great to be back with you for yet another Insiders episode. Could you tell us a little bit more about Durham Lane before you introduce our guest for this episode. Hi Simon, thank you very much and yep, great to be back for another Insiders episode. Just quickly on Durham Lane, we're an integrated sales and marketing agency. What does that mean? Well, we help our customers to create always-on channels of meaningful, well-qualified sales opportunities that business development teams love to close. So we're trying to fill that gap between marketing sales, bit of the middleware and uh, focusing our time on demand and lead generation. Thrilled to be joined by Dirk Gauberg, Global Operational Marketing Director for AXA Partners. Dirk, welcome. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I'm going to hand us back to Simon, who's going to get us started and uh, really looking forward to today's discussion. Wonderful. Dirk, a question we normally ask uh, our guests so our listeners can get to know you a little bit. Could you please give us a little bit of background and how you came to be in the role that you're in currently? Well, uh, thank you very much for inviting me. So, well, yes, it's a sort of uh, natural evolution, basically. Uh, I studied marketing and I was always uh, a strong believer, basically, that sales and marketing should work closely together to achieve extensive growth. And so at the start of my career, I opted uh, whether or not go for uh, a marketing job in an agency, but rather for a business development role in sales. And uh, just to get experience in how buyers relate to sales reps, basically, and to learn what brings comfort to that buyer during the decision-making process. And uh, later in my career, basically, with this experience, I would say I always opted for positions that combine sales and marketing or strategic business development. Uh, and in all of them, I tried basically to align marketing strategies with basically the sales uh, targets. Uh, and you could see that made a difference basically in growth. Uh, so when three years ago, I was asked to develop a global uh, B2B sales enablement department, or we call it here global operational marketing department, uh, well, this felt like a great opportunity, of course, uh, to roll out on a global level, I would say, my beliefs and how to accelerate that growth. So I'm here now. So um, I'm glad to be here, in fact, yes. Oh, just globally then. So that, keeping you nice and busy. Dick, <laughs> exactly. <yeah>? So, that's, <laughs> <laughs> and there are many differences. That's one thing for sure. <laughs> 100%. And uh, our Insiders podcast listeners, they're always going to be interested in how do I grow revenue? And in fact, probably even more so, how 
how do I grow revenue quickly? Spoken like a true salesperson <laughs> here. Uh, how do you approach both organic and external growth as an organization? Yeah, uh, for me, both tracks are interesting eh, to grow revenues in a fast way, I would say. Uh, I was rather lucky, I must say, to be able to, to develop strategies at diverse employers uh, on how to enable growth. Uh, and depending on what the general business strategy was or is, I opted for external growth or in other words, M&A or the organic growth. So what I did, I always proposed M&A for fast growth, basically when a company needs to enter a mature or an international new market and where a need is to have a certain volume, I would say, that will allow the company to take a certain brand position and will be able to reinvest basically its profits in further growth or innovation. So if a company has a good position in the market, has a certain scale and a competitive and desirable offer, then the combined strength, I would say, between sales and marketing can do the growth job if a well all true, I must say, sales enablement program is in place. This is important, I think. So one could think actually that to get success in those very different streams or tracks of growth are extremely different, but the process to get around the table with a preferred target, I would say, in M&A process or for pure prospection is very similar in my opinion. So for me, it all starts with meaningful content and stories that trigger that interest. And an in M&A, surely, uh, because you have to sort of get a foot in the door to talk about, you know, um, investing together or really fully taking it over. So you have to get a story that triggers that interest with the founder. You have to know that lots of founders are very close to their uh, company, of course, and they are successful thanks to their employees. So if you put into your marketing approach, I would say, and your story around that, that you will bring value for the founder and also for the employees once acquired, that will help, in fact, the interest. And hence, of course, marketing is, again, an important tool to make that happen. Of course, afterwards, you have to go and see the person. I would say in B2B sales nowadays, it is the same. If you look to the B2B buyer journey, we see a sort of, in my opinion, a consumerization of B2B sales, meaning that buyers are looking for meaningful content uh, when they're making their decision in the diverse steps. And we see that some of them even don't want to see any more sales reps <laughs> and they want to like to go to a, a self-service. I suppose sales reps won't like to hear that, but it is true that most of them see uh, sales reps much further in their decision-making process. So that sort of a pre-shopping becomes more important. And that means that in B2B sales, uh, B2B marketing uh, should be should be more around, as I would say. And I also think that there is a, a big need that marketing comes closer to the buyer. So, uh, so for me, yeah, basically getting the growth accelerating goes in the way of, you know, content marketing at the same time combined again with a good sales reps. Yeah, because I think it was, I mean, Gosh, Dirk, it must be seven years ago or something. CEB research was average B2B by a 57% of the way through. So yes. goodness knows what it is now, right? And exactly. I think that all important, whatever's happening in the 57, 60, whatever it is now, is I think where the content and the pre-shopping is taking place, isn't it? It's exactly, exactly. It makes a big difference now and it's more and more important, I think, than ever before. You're totally right, indeed. Because I think we have, you know, we have very informed buyers, but you can potentially get quite informed and confused buyers as well because it's it's not always easy is it to do the research so i think the skill of the salesperson probably to pick them up at the right time and to and to find out where they are is going to be critical that is a challenge of course but um i do see that um often uh, you know the salesperson can't 
simply take almost a recorded pitch because uh, they are so well informed, the, the buyers. It's easy. Uh, uh, you go on Google and you see a lot. But it's true. Some of them can be confused and then you have to rectify. So you have to have a little bit of a coaching around that to ask the right questions. Yeah, I think that's absolutely critical. And you mentioned in our pre-interview that you conducted a big survey using actually McKinsey, uh, which I think everybody will be very (laughs) familiar with, to sort of identify what your local sales teams needed. And I'd be fascinated to know what insights you gained from that kind of bottom-up approach. Yeah, there was an interesting bottom-up survey, in fact, uh, with, again, the purpose, of course, to gain buy-in for any needed sales and marketing transformation, I would say that the central teams would propose to the local entities. Now, a lot of interesting topics were gathered uh, on how the sales reps were using their time, for example, and also what elements they really thought needed to be tackled to help them to achieve rather ambitious revenue targets, I would say. So I would say besides the, the need for simplifying internal processes and many other things, it became clear that our sales reps were not fully equipped to engage with new B2B buyers and their purchase approach, I must say. A key elements that were mentioned were, for example, that it was difficult to contact prospects and to get finally an appointment. They also mentioned the lack of adequate content, not sales pitches, but rather the intelligence content, for example. So in fact, they expressed a need, in my opinion, for uh, more content marketing and that could support them in the diverse stages of the sales funnel and also the need for to be more digitally savvy to engage with prospects to open doors. Uh, So so yeah, that was a really interesting uh, study. And out of there, we launched then uh, a global sales enablement program, basically, yes. Yeah, it's fascinating. I'm very interested in that sort of content the intelligence content versus versus the sales pitch richard your perspective on that is that in line with what you see with your work at durham lane 100 percent. we pivoted a number of years ago and i'm i'm sure i've shared the story on the podcast before but essentially with the same amount of effort and enthusiasm and persistence going in we were just creating less opportunities it was getting harder to connect with people so we built out our marketing services shared team and The job of that team is to put the brand of our customer in front of the right people at the right time. We look at three different buyer stages because people are looking at different times. And I also think you've got to go and find them. You can't expect them to come to you. One of my mantras is build it and they won't come. Um, so <laughs> you have, you, you, with my, with my e-learning, uh, my corporate e-learning history that came from, but yeah, you, you need to, you need to really create messaging that speaks to the people in the, in the stage they're at. So whether they're just out looking because they think they might want to solve something or because they know they need to solve something or because they're looking for a partner to solve the thing itself, totally different messaging. And we hone that and craft that and A-B test that. And of course, convert it through our MQL to SQL conversion. Yeah, I'm just interested. We, we, we won't do this now, but you know, for another day, the death of the sales pitch. You wonder whether it's coming, right? <laughs> it, it is interesting, isn't it? Because I think in the world of B2B, well, two things. One, have you ever met an Amazon salesperson in your B2C life? <laughs> no, because it's such a frictionless experience. And B2B behavior tends to follow B2C behavior. So we are going more into the digital world. But at the same time, reflecting on our business, we spend a lot of time helping people to select the right solution and to solve a problem that that they've come around, either, either they hadn't thought about or we've helped them to articulate. So the role of the consultative sales professional is is definitely here here for a while yet, yeah, I would argue. Phone bashing has probably gone there. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was kind of thinking I was more, more referring to the, the archetypal pitch, which I think is probably definitely died a death some time ago. Cause I think, you know, buyers are much more sophisticated. Yeah. So, yeah, and Dirk, you've set up a global marketing operation absolutely from scratch. <laughs> you must have learned an awful lot. What were the objectives that you wanted to achieve from it? And, and I'd love to know your experiences in, in setting something like that up. But our listeners may not have to do it on that scale, but I think it will be a fascinating to hear your perspective. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, yes, it, it, indeed. So three years ago, I started setting up a global operational marketing department, uh, which has as a name to initiate a new go-to-market approach. Uh, uh, you have to know that insurances have been a very traditional business, uh, where a classic whining and dining, I would say, sales approach worked well, uh, um, and this much longer than in other s- sectors. Um, but we could feel that a shift was needed uh, because the classical insurance uh, resellers are not anymore uh, only the brokers. Uh, a multitude of sectors now integrate in their value proposition an insurance element. Uh, so a new way of selling was really needed. So based on that, uh, my team rolled out a sales enablement program uh, to adapt to the buyer's current behavior, I would say, and uh, their needs. And uh, and basically, this is based on, uh, I would I call it modern selling, or you can also call it buyer first selling. And all this, of course, to achieve basically a bigger sales pipeline, uh, more leads, and also to have a quicker and faster conversion rate than before. Now, in short, perhaps, uh, what is that approach for modern selling? Uh, so it combines, in fact, the marketing and sales activities related, as we just talked about, the buyer's purchase journey. And it works as a sort of a cycle for me. It all starts with meaningful uh, content that is uh, distributed via social media, can be done by the salesperson or in general via the site uh, uh, to target audiences. Leads are picked up and uh, social conversations by the sales reps can start with the aim, of course, to provide, let's say, during these conversations, um, yeah, engaging content uh, that will open the doors towards a remote selling meeting or a face-to-face consultative selling uh, or even a co-creation, let's say, workshop. Now, during that process, uh, we gather, of course, uh, and also the sales rep uh, gathers quite interesting, I would say, information and insights that you wouldn't have so easily otherwise on the company. And that helps them, of course, then to make that bespoke offer uh, once they're a little bit further in, let's say, the process, uh, which makes them stand out, basically. And for me, the the cycle is not round there because once the the prospect becomes, let's say, a a real client, uh, well, we can do testimonials and that again, we can put on social media, attracting again, let's say, uh, sort of other prospects. And yeah, and, and we keep on going with the lead generation. And that is rather interesting, I find, in a sense. Uh, so um, yeah, so you asked me a little bit what the experience is in setting that up. So, well, uh, as we all know, transformation is, of course, never easy. And in the beginning, we needed to prove ourselves as a new department. So thanks to this McKinsey study, uh, we started basically by fixing the basics that we do could give some more comfort to the sales reps. And one thing we did, for example, was setting up a content factory platform, basically a platform where people could find all the content that they could need, which before was, yeah, I would say, dispersed, a little bit messy, uh, now was one place. And at the same time, of course, uh, we made a lot of new content, which they could use then into, let's say, their own uh, sort of a process. Now, we gained, we saw basically that it was used really strongly, so that was really a relief, and we were very happy about that. So 
in the transformation that was the big hook in, uh, I would say, into the whole company. And based on that, we started then with our next step, uh, which was wanted to make our sales rep more, I would say, digital savvy. Here again, we did a lot of, of course, coaching and webinars. And we, I would say the country managers and also the, the sales directors of the countries saw during those webinars that the sales rep that were more, uh, I would say, successful uh, used more the social, let's say, networking. And uh, we were here a little bit helped, I think, thanks to COVID, because, of course, the classic wining and dining network wasn't any more there. So they needed to go basically do the digital one. And yeah, so uh, yeah, so basically that helped. Uh, but the sales directors really saw quickly, hey, we can get our targets quicker by yeah, going into that direction. And um, in a very practical way, what we also did is... Um, we gave them also, let's say, uh, a lot of content uh, uh, that they could use then on the digital sell, uh, selling, I would say, uh, instead of that they had to invent them themselves. And that made the transformation easier, I would say. But of course, you know how people are. It's always a bit of a battle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, change, change, as you say, transformation and change, never never an easy thing. I'm glad to know there were some benefits from COVID, though. I know it caused us all <laughs> sorts of challenges. So it's, it's nice to know there was some benefit. And did you use external partners to help with this initiative? And if so, what do you do to make sure you get the best from them? I, mean, I think Richard is obviously, Durham Lane, an external partner for many, for many organizations. So I think I'm sure Richard will be listening listening uh, really closely to this one, Dirk. <laughs> uh, oh, yes, sure, we did. Uh, basically, we are a very small team and we are a little bit, as I call it, T-shaped. Uh, so uh, we are a small team with a broad knowledge, I would say. So that's the, the horizontal line. Uh, but we need experts, marketing experts, that's basically the vertical line, um, to get things started or to get knowledge, uh, you see, and to go faster. And I think nowadays, uh, if you look to the changing world, it's certainly not a luxury to have good experts let's say that you can call it in at the moment you need them to be more agile and so um we basically i'm a very big believer let's say in this sort of a strategic partnering and because we work with lots of experts uh but we bring them together and uh, we let them you know uh, sort of you know use the expertise of the different experts uh, and that makes it very dynamic in my opinion and it's very useful uh, and in that way we move for uh, move on faster uh, so uh, so yeah, I'm a very big um, fan for external providers. And, and Richard, from a Durham Lane perspective, what, what's what's your advice for organisations on how to get the very best from from an organisation like yours? I thought you were going to ask me to do a sales pitch there, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so we, I will have talked about this before. So apologies to uh, our regular listeners, but um, at Durham Lane we talk about our three Ps process, people, and probably most importantly, partnership. It has to be a two-way street. You have to engage a partner as if they are a member of your team because that's how they should be treated and, and how they should treat you as well. Um, and I think when you've got that sort of clarity, then you, you can do amazing things by by bringing ex, ex, external support and, and mm. scale sometimes. You know, it could be about scale. It could be about expertise. Um, but if you... If you really open up and and give to partnership, and I think that makes a, a big difference. I always say to potential customers, imagine imagine that you had a really proactive sales team sitting next to you. <laughs> uh, how would you work with them? The, the only difference being they're not next to you. There are people, not your people. But you know, if you follow that mindset, then you should you should get a successful program delivered. 
Yeah, so you can extract the maximum value from your from your external partner, which mm. as an external partner myself is what you want to do, don't you? So maximize yep. the value you can offer. In terms of, I suppose, loosely sales technology, Dirk, you, you recently ran a sales navigator program for your sales team. Now, I'm a big fan of sales navigator, but <laughs> in my experience with, with quite a lot of my clients, it's never really being used to its fullest extent, and it is really, really valuable resource. What approach are you taking to get the maximum benefit from, from sales now? Mm, yes, indeed. Uh, we, yes, we rolled out um, a glo- on global level uh, for approximately 130 uh, sales reps. Uh, um, uh, the sales navigator uh, program. Uh, so uh, when we launched it, uh, we defined a number of KPIs that were related to our digital, I would say, selling maturity. Uh, example, you know, very simple. What is the profile basically of uh, the sales rep? And uh, that's one thing. It can be it looks very simple, but that's important. But also the number of C level contacts you have, uh, the number of emails, uh, in mails uh, sent, etc. And basically to get the maximum out of the sales navigator, we have set up. Um, a global community consisting of LinkedIn sales navigator accelerator ambassadors, we call them, uh, which ha- have as a task uh, to follow up uh, on the local level, the KPIs, and to nurture and coach the sales reps. So it's a lot of following up that needs to be done because it's true what you say. Otherwise, you know, people leave it a little bit on the side and they're not feeling, you know, I have to do it. They have to see the advantage of it, uh, of course. And therefore, we launched, uh, of course, a lot of training sessions on the topic and uh, lots of, um, let's say, as inspiration sessions uh, from sales reps who were successful with it. And that triggered basically the other ones to go also so um we we did some you know we gave some things away once people had a, a good target etc so yeah it is you have to push it but if by showcasing that it is working yeah it does help and we we saw that uh, the sales directors of the regions uh, immediately also saw again and they pushed and engaged them with the sales rep they were also ambassadors to move that forward you see now this is of course the rollout but besides that we also gave a lot of practical support by creating those specific LinkedIn social media content, whereby we suggested a number of posting messages and even more important, it's follow-up messages. Of course, these could be tweaked, but we had sort of campaign material that could be done and could be used uh, in the different regions at the stage that they were in their commercial activity, of course. And to facilitate an, an easy distribution of those LinkedIn uh, sort of social media uh, postings, uh, we are using the LinkedIn My Company content pages which makes the sales reps an easy way to forward it and they don't lose too much time. And at the same time, also they could pick up some messages. And that helped, in fact, to engage and to yeah make them move into it. And we see actually quite nice results. Uh, and the KPIs that we had set in the beginning are really reached. Uh, we have some yeah points sometimes, like, for example, sending um, in-mail. For some people, it's still you know a, a threshold to overcome. But uh, yeah, back constantly, I think... Uh, yeah, coaching and pushing and success stories, it does help, in my opinion, and it makes it move forward. Yeah, I mean, certainly when I'm doing some sort of social selling workshops, it, one of the big things is crafting the message so they, they can feel genuine and not artificial. Yes. They, I, I, certainly had, I certainly had one person who said, you're not going to ask us to connect and then send them a message asking them to buy something, are you? He said, because that's what I get all the time. <laughs> and true. I said, uh, I said that's not social selling. That's just really bad selling done on LinkedIn. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, they're de- definitely not doing that. Socially bad selling. Yeah, that's yeah, all much yeah. harassment, I, mean, I would all- say. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, we're probably all very familiar with. Uh, we've all probably been on the receiving end of it. Correct. A, a little earlier, you, you mentioned that you run sort of, sort of co-creation, the service design workshops with your customers with a co-creation approach. And I'd be interested how you structure and run those. And secondly, what benefits do do you and also obviously the customers get from these? All right. Yes. Uh, yes. As part of this modern selling approach and within our consultative way of face-to-face selling, I would say, we started to organize those uh, service design workshops uh, to co-create with our B2B prospects uh, or clients uh, unique solutions that would make them stand out. And that's important. It's about this uniqueness, basically. So we do this mainly for uh, with larger organizations because there is a certain investment needed at both sides to organize these workshops. Uh, to make those workshops happen, uh, we've, which we baptized uh, l'atelier. It sounds a little bit more posh, I think, in French. So, <laughs> so we organize uh, an intake session, basically, to understand the prospect's business strategy, their vision on the market, their challenges. Uh, and we organize a roundtable or uh, we, we send out a survey to a larger group. We need to have good input and not hidden elements, in fact. So out of this, we distilled then a number of topics uh, to brainstorm on. And based on the preferred brainstorm topic, we bring them together, let's say, the right people from AXA partners and also from our prospect or client. So mainly, we bring together heads of product development, um, intelligence, uh, innovation, sales, uh, customer experience people, but also marketing, but also operations. And we aim to have always one person which is on a C-level just to get the, in, the, the engagement and the full insight, basically. And um, so during the preparation uh, phase, then we gather the needed intelligence around the topic. Sometimes we do a little market survey, just a quick one, just to get a little bit of a basis to have a good conversation. And during the session itself, well, this is a purely, let's say, service design approach, where we put basically the end customer of our clients, of our prospect in the center. And we talk about the topic and the activity around that topic and look at the pains and you know the gains of the product and how we get relief by bringing the right solutions and it is interesting to see that it is not so easy basically to put ourselves in the shoes of the end customer and also for our prospects sometimes it's a different way of looking to things but at the end what you have is you get great ideas solutions and that could bring more value to this end customer of our prospect or client and out of there of course at the end of the session we sort of decide and we exchange on what is now a quick win and what is a, a more blue ocean as we call it then a topic that needs a little bit more discussion because of course we're all under pressure to gain more growth so the quick wins are easier to set up so and after that basically we can see with our prospect or client if they want to proceed and we can set up mvp or minimal viable product uh, sessions and basically at the end we can bring an offer you see so that's a bit the the whole flow i would say what is now the advantage as you asked uh, for the prospect or, or client and for us well i would say for the client or prospect, uh, basically you get a unique solution, which is very much uh, based for for your end customer portfolio, which is great because otherwise, and it's a bit tailored-made product development at the same time. If you look at it more for on our side, what is the advantage there? Well, we don't have to sell anymore because basically it's co-created. The solution comes from out of the mouth, I would say, from our prospect and client. And that helps, of course, then to, yeah, to be above the competition and to be tailored and to become more strategic partner from you know your uh, your prospect or client so yeah i think it's a great way forward in sales i think and it brings that consultative element to a higher level i would say yes 
Yeah, I think with a, a unique client-centric offer, it's quite hard for them to do an RFP, isn't yes, it? Indeed. And even if they do, it's going to be very heavily influenced by you. Yes, uh, and that's a great thing. We have already seen that afterwards they do an RFP, but of course it's written in such a form, you know, with the solutions that we can bring that it, it gives it a big advantage, a step forward, yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always encouraging, you know, clients, account managers, key account managers, you know, move left in the customer's buying process. You're actually <laughs> starting the whole buying process off aren't you which is fascinating you know which is and the earlier you start the greater your influence and typically the greater your success so i think that's a a, yeah a lot a huge amount of work though as well and of course it is you must 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 take some you know very very strong facilitation as well to run those sessions that's also a good qualification isn't it simon so and and dirk do you Feel free not to answer this if it's not appropriate. But do you do you typically charge for for that type of session? No, we we don't charge for that at all. Um, we see it as a sort of you know a, a cost in sales at the same time. You know, it otherwise it also costs uh, some money. Uh, but it is true. It it asks for a lot of effort, and uh, and sometimes we also use them. You know, because if you have several at the same time, we also we we ask uh, external companies to help us to lead the sessions, for example, um, which is great to have. Uh, so you can go faster again yes but we don't charge not yet <laughs> yeah I mean, it's, it's 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 like the um i think it was seth godin who said you know don't try and sell your products to your customers create products for them which is ideally what you're doing isn't it which is which is fantastic so so richard you are normally scribbling away all the main points <laughs> as we go through our interviews what are standing out as the key messages from um, what we've heard from dirk what a picture you presented for our listeners there. That's great. Um, yeah, so so what, Dirk, just right at the top, I love the fact that you were aligned from the get-go. So you took a BD role to understand how people buy, but you really wanted to be a marketeer. So that's that's really interesting. I love, I love that. We've talked to a lot of guests who've got a certainly very successful marketeers that started in sales and business development. And I, I think being able to understand the two sides of the coin is key. Uh, we then took a, a bit of a, a path through growth and we're talking about M&A versus organic growth. And, and that led us to sort of content marketing plus great sales reps. You, you know, no point having one without the other. I, I think the McKinsey survey is really interesting as well, because I think that process using an external partner allowed you to shine a light on perhaps what was good, but also what needed to be developed. And you probably got more buy-in because it had some third-party uh, due diligence, as it were. We talked about the death of the salesperson or not. <laughs> Come back to that one, Simon, I think, will not we? Um, and uh, yeah, I think the other piece and, and what's been really interesting, really interesting uh, throughout this discussion and we have another two guests from a similar industry, but it's very traditional black book type sales method. And Dirk, with a team of four and 130 global sales reps, I think you said, it sounds like you're really down the path of of moving that organization into a modern selling approach. So I'd like to congratulate you on that. I'm sure there's lots of work still to do and, and always will be, but, but actually using the right technology tools, Having a small team, but using external partners, looking for the quick wins, but also managing to do the blue the blue ocean thinking, I think is uh, yeah really really interesting to see how you've you've helped to uh, to sort of shift the sales motion for AXA partners. So yeah, really really enjoyed the discussion. So thank you. Thank you very much. And I, I think I think the phrase "buyer first selling" is uh, wonderfully encapsulates I think a lot of your philosophy and and approach. A lot of people talk it, but 
you know, it's it's great to hear from someone who's actually been putting that into action and, and making it come alive. So really appreciate you sharing your your time and wisdom with, with us <laughs> and with our with our listeners. Uh, the final question, Dirk, which sometimes is one of the more challenging questions, All right. is All right. we're, 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 we're building the Insiders Spotify playlist and we ask all of our guests to choose a song which we will add to the playlist. Um, feel free to be as creative as you like. It is a very diverse... <laughs> collection i'm not even sure collection's the right word random list of of amazingly different songs what what would be your chosen song or tune to add to the playlist Dirk, please oh well i, I love a lot of songs and uh, i won't say abba so uh, because that's probably already on your list but um one that i really like actually is a uh, uh, a perfect day uh, from the oh, read yes i yeah. i think it's probably also on your list already I don't no, know, but no, it's such a great, relaxing, you know, uh, and we're all looking for that perfect day, I would say. So, uh, so yeah, if you play that, uh, I think that would be what nice. A, what a choice. <laughs> what a choice. Yeah, abs, abs, we definitely have not got that on the playlist all so right, far. Okay. So. It will be a nice transition from some of Simon's more punkier moments as well, I think. <laughs> so there's a, nice, there's a nice thread there from... You know, from yeah. from Simon's and and other. I mean, Neil from ABB was was in your zone, wasn't he, Simon? And then he was. I think he. I think he went for New Order. Oh, the good old times. <laughs> Into Lou Reed. I think that'll be a nice a nice transition there, Dirk. Thank you. <laughs> and I don't think we have any ABBA on either, but that we should. All uh, right. <laughs> you can't beat a bit of ABBA, right? No, no, well, no. Dirk, thank you, thank you so much. Really, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Insiders by Durham Lane, and uh, thank you to my co-host Richard, and also. So obviously to all of our listeners for listening in hope you found this episode valuable which I'm, I'm sure you did uh, please subscribe to the insiders podcast on your preferred podcasting site and you'll be notified of new episodes uh, as they're released which they are on a regular basis and visit durhamlane.com to learn more about selling at a higher level so in the meantime we'd just like to wish you all a good luck with all of your sales and marketing efforts folks thanks for listening in the insiders by durham lane Subscribe today to never miss an episode.